Fueled, episode number 56, from drug addict to one of the most fit men on earth, Rich Roll. Welcome to Fueled, the podcast for teens that aspire for greatness. My name is Easton Allred, and I am a successful entrepreneur, athlete, college student, and personal development guru. Each week, I interview successful and inspiring individuals that will teach you the secrets of setting goals and developing life-changing habits that will fuel you to greatness. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get fueled. Hello, Fuel listeners, and welcome to episode number 56 of Fuel. This is your podcast host, Easton Allred, and I could not be more ecstatic for today's guest on the podcast, Rich Roll. Now, this is one of the guys that has made us, not my average podcast guest. I mean, this guy is absolutely incredible. Rich Roll is a very well-known ultra-endurance athlete and ultra-marathoner was also named one of the top 25 most fit men on earth. Has two books out and a very successful podcast called The Rich Roll Podcast. And lastly, Rich provided an incredible opportunity for me. This last weekend, I ran a mile and set one of the top freshman times for the mile in the nation currently. And there's no way I would have been able to do that with the way I fuel my body and the nutrition that I have. And that was all inspired by Rich. So Rich, thank you so much for that. And I know that you have an incredible story about how you came from being a drug addict and to being an alcoholic to now being one of the most fit men on earth. Could you tell my audience a little bit about that journey, what it's been like for you? It's been crazy. Uh, you know, thinking back on where I was to where I am now, it's it's hard to even wrap my head around it. Uh, I, I, I would have never thought that I would be doing what I get to do now. So it's been really cool. Uh, over the years, there's been, <clears throat> you know, a lot of promise and then promise squandered and, and a lot of chaos with, you know, drugs and alcohol that threw me off the track. You know, when I was your age, I had I was somebody who had, you know, a lot of uh, opportunity. Um, you know, I studied hard. I trained hard. I was a swimmer, uh, got into all the right colleges, went to Stanford as a swimmer, and then kind of got introduced to drugs and alcohol. And that threw me off the scent for many years and until I was kind of a broken guy and had to put the pieces back together, get sober and, and rebuild my life. Um, and even that journey was 10 years of trying to find my way in the forest and, and, you know, becoming successful as a lawyer, but not really being fulfilled in my, uh, you know, professional choices. And so, uh, you know, I got sober from drugs and alcohol when I was 31, but I went, by the time I was 40, I had to kind of reinvent myself again to reconfigure my career. And that started with, you know, diet and adopting a plant-based lifestyle and becoming an athlete again and kind of everything that's transpired since. So, Rich, I think in today's day, to be healthier, to get in shape, is one of the most desired effects that we have as humans. But the plant-based diet is not usually the first thing that comes up. How did you come across it? Well, when I was 39, I was 50 pounds overweight, pretty much just living on junk food three times a day. Uh, And those are habits that I learned, you know, back when I was your age, when I was swimming a lot and training all the time, I was just starving all the time. And I just would, it just, whatever I could put in my mouth to like not be hungry anymore, that's basically what I did, you know? 
And I think when you're age, when I, when you're your age, you can kind of get away with it a little bit. Um, but the problem is, you know, those you're forming habits that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life. So when my swimming career was over, I continued to eat that way. And not only did I put on a bunch of weight and get fat, I just felt lousy all the time. And so, you know, when I was when I turned 40 and I was 50 pounds overweight, I had a health scare uh, going up a flight of stairs one night where I had tightness in my chest and, and it really scared me. I thought I was on the verge of having a heart attack. And I realized I couldn't live this way any longer and I couldn't continue to eat the way that I was eating and, and not take care of myself. And so over a six month period, I tried on a whole bunch of diets and I was trying to work it out and nothing really seemed to work or stick. And it wasn't until, you know, at the very end of my rope, I decided that I would try eating plant-based, 100% plant-based, no animal products whatsoever. And, you know, I thought it would be really severe and difficult to do. And I really didn't think that it was going to make any kind of difference. I just wanted to check the box and say that I did it uh, and that it didn't work because <laughs> it didn't sound that great. Uh, but when I made that switch, I, I really quickly felt a lot better. And that's what, you know, sort of returned my vitality and, and made me interested in, in getting fit again. It just gave me so much energy. And from an observer's point of view, it's really cool to see that you made one decision to get your health back in order. And then once you made that decision, the momentum kind of got going for you in a sense. And you're now the person that you are today because of that one decision that you made a couple years ago to get your health back in order. And I think that we would all do well to understand that sometimes one decision is all you need to get the ball rolling and get your life to where you want it to be and start achieving your goals so that's really inspiring for me to see. And the next question I have for you is one that I get quite a bit as an athlete. A year ago, I was training for the Junior Olympics, and I had a coach that was just telling me that I wasn't getting enough protein and I wasn't getting any calcium from the milk or for the eggs that I was not eating on a plant-based diet. You're an athlete. How do you find those things, and how do you make up for what you're missing in meat and dairy? Well, yeah, that's the big question, right? So I think it's a it's a complicated answer. It's a long answer, but I think it begins with understanding that it's difficult to untangle uh, some of these ideas that we've been sort of told our entire life, uh, and a lot, of, and to understand that a lot of those ideas are driven not necessarily by the truth, but more by uh, vested uh, business interests and political organizations that want you to continue eating these products because there are large economic uh, forces at play that stand to gain from that. So when you start to untangle that knot and understand that, you know, the Food and Drug Administration uh, is actually not necessarily looking out for your best interests, but for the interests of um, the animal agriculture industry, uh, and that that you know, sort of dietary plate or pyramid that you see in your school is really a function of that uh, more than it is a function of what you need to be healthy. You start to look at things with a more skeptical, critical eye. And what I've learned is that a lot of these things that we've been told, beef is what's for dinner, milk does a body good. If you want strong bones, you got to drink milk. If you, wanna, if you want strong muscles, you need to eat animal protein. These are simply myths, and my experience and the experience of so many other plant-based athletes that are out there killing it is that not only can you meet all of your protein needs on a plant-based diet, 
um, and actually get more minerals and vitamins and micronutrients and phytonutrients eating plants, but that you're avoiding a lot of the health calamities that are baked into, that are packed into all of these animal products that are actually making us sick. They're filled with hormones and antibiotics um, and saturated, all kinds of saturated fat and cholesterol and all these things that ultimately are leading us towards poor health rather than great health. And I think in the context of being an athlete, because I know there's a lot of young athletes that listen to your show, um, when you think about what makes you a good athlete when you're training, like how are you going to train effectively to be the best that you can be? You don't get stronger or faster during your training session, during your workout. You get faster and stronger in the periods in between your workout when your body is repairing itself, when you're recovering, right? And to the extent that you can uh, expedite that recovery process, if you can fuel yourself so that your body will recover more quickly, that will allow you to train harder, to go faster, to go longer, to be less likely to get injured or to overtrain. And when you protract that out over the course of, a, let's say, a track season or even a couple of years from your freshman year to your senior year, you're going to realize tremendous performance gains if you can solve that equation of improving your body's ability to recover. And when you're eating plant-based or eating a diet that is not only very nutritionally dense and has all the things that you need, all the protein, all the amino acids, all the micronutrients, phytonutrients, et cetera, um, but it's also anti-inflammatory, It actually allow, which means it allows your body to uh, experience less inflammation as a result of your training session, which then expedites your body's ability to repair those muscles. So what I've experienced and what um, you know, basically every plant-based athlete that you're going to talk to has experienced is that they recover more quickly in between workouts, which means they're fresher each day when they approach their training. And that's what I think is the secret weapon of eating plant-based in terms of athletic performance. Mm -hmm. So you touched on how the economy has an effect on the way we eat. And one thing that I find extremely fascinating is that in the 1940s and 50s, the American Medical Association not only said that smoking in moderation was okay for you, but they also said that it could even be good for you. The, the, the tobacco and the cigarette industry put so much money on ads and trying to convince the public that cigarettes were good for you that they actually succeeded in doing so. It took over 7,000 studies, numerous years, and countless deaths for for surgeons to start saying that cigarettes were in fact bad for you. But why did it take 7,000 studies and countless deaths to do so? Well, the exact same thing is happening with our meat and dairy industries today. So it's scary for me to think that an industry could do that to us. And you see all these Kellogg cereal that are just loaded with sugar, but they say healthy on the front. And so I think that that's always something to consider. But what I have for you next is I'm always looking for good pre-race routines and rituals. Do you have any that have helped you to be more successful in your athletic career? Um, I don't have any like super secrets on that, but I think that the key, one of the keys, if not the key, uh, is having a uh, really solid meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And meditation is super important to me. Uh, it allows me to be less reactive and more mindful about the decisions that I make, about the words that come out of my mouth, about you know how I behave and, and respond in, in certain situations, whether it's like getting ready for an interview 
or preparing for a big race. And I think that you get a lot of sort of active meditation out of the training. You know, if you're out running by yourself and you're just with your thoughts, that's sort of a meditation, but it's different from a structure. You know, you're going to sit down for 20 minutes and you're just going to, you know, focus on your breath. And it seems weird and awkward and bizarre, but my experience is that by having a consistent, you know, really structured meditation practice, I am I basically become a better human being, not just as an athlete, but as a person, as a father, you know, as a husband, as an interviewer, you know, somebody who hosts a podcast, as a writer, like it spills out into every aspect of my life. Because what happens is rather than just reacting in a situation where you're just kind of um, impulsively responding to whatever's around you, you get that extra little second or micro moment where you get to like, where you almost like time expands and you have the ability to pause and think, what's the best way to respond here? And when you add up all of those little decisions over the course of a day or a long period of time, um, it could really change your life and it's, it's super powerful. So I highly recommend that to anybody who's listening. Totally. And I'd agree with you on that. I'm glad you said that because I'm huge on meditation. I've been doing it for the past couple of years and it makes all the difference in the world. So I think you've had so many accomplishments over the past couple of years, both athletically and, and professionally. What do you think, what would you say you're most proud of? I think the thing I'm proud of the most is that uh, I've figured out a way to build a life around the things that are personally fulfilling to me and of service to other people. So it's easy to point a finger and say, well, I built a business where I can support my family and I've done it online or, you know, I got, uh, you know, I did Epic Five. I did five Ironmans on five Hawaiian Islands in under a week or I got six at Ultraman, you know, in 2009. Those are all great, but those were all kind of like pit stops on the journey to becoming more self-actualized because, Prior to that, you know, I was a corporate lawyer, and by all accounts from the outside looking in, I was leading a successful life. I had a Porsche in the driveway, and I have a really nice house, and, you know, I was making good money and doing all the things that kind of society tells you you need to do to be approved of and considered to be successful in pursuit of the American dream. But I never took a moment, you know, when I was a young person like yourself to stop and think, well, what is it that I want to do? Like, what's important to me? How can I contribute to the world and make an impact? Like none of that entered my mind whatsoever. And so I just blindly kind of pursued this career path because it seemed like that's what you do as a, you know, sort of intelligent, upwardly mobile, you know, young person. And it was so at odds with not only what I'm good at, my skill set, but also just who I wanted to be. And so for years, I was jamming the square peg into a round hole, trying to make it work because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And that's what you know drove me to alcoholism. And that's what drove me to this existential crisis about what I was doing with myself. And everything had to be destroyed before I could honestly look at myself in the mirror and make these adjustments. So for me, it was driven out of pain. And that was what you know, sort of threw me into ultra endurance sports as a means of trying to like figure out like what I wanted to do with myself. And so it took many, many years, but you know, now I look back on it and it's clear to me that, you know, my biggest accomplishment is that I was able to solve that problem for myself, find a way to, you know, make a living in a way that is personally fulfilling to me and is of service to other people that contributes to society in a positive way. 
I love it. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about you? I think I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that I'm some kind of uh, genetic freak outlier. Um, you know, because it's like you go and you do all these crazy. I do all these crazy endurance sports, and part of the reason for that is to show people like, look, you're you have more potential than you think that you have. Because I honestly don't think that I'm a very gifted athlete. I have to work really, really hard just to be okay. You know, and I think if I have any talent as an athlete, it's a high tolerance for suffering, but I don't have crazy innate ability, you know, innate running ability. Like I'm not a great runner and I'm not a very good cyclist. I can swim. That's, you know, my strength, but, um, I'm not, I'm not that gifted as an athlete. So when people say, well, rich can do it, but nobody else can, or rich has some kind of, you know, weird enzyme that other people don't have that allow him to eat plant-based, but you know, most people can't. I think that's a misconception. I, I really, you know, I really, I really don't put myself in the category of elite athletes. What I was, you know, what I've been able to accomplish was really through sheer force of will. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, if I, if, if my story stands for anything that, you know, I'm an ordinary guy who happened to do some extraordinary things and it should be taken as a lesson, um, in terms of, you know, having everybody kind of take a look at their own dormant potential and, and, you know, what they're not seeing in terms of their own capabilities. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I, th I think that's a limiting belief that a lot of people have. They just think I can't be good at that. And so they don't even try. And then that mental capacity holds them back. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think that habits are a really big part of who we are and who we become. What habits do you have that helped you to be successful? Um, I think, uh, I think I have, you know, in addition to having a high tolerance for, for suffering, I have a high tolerance for doing like repetitive mundane actions. You know what I mean? Like if you want to move the ball forward in any area of your life, let's say you want to be a writer, you want to write a book. Well, you're going to have to sit your butt down in a chair and like weather through all the discomfort of what's required to write a book. Or if you want to train for a marathon or something like that, you're going to have to get up and be, you know, every single day and, you know, consistently show up and do things that aren't so fun when your friends are out having a good time or going on vacation or watching the game, you know, all that kind of stuff. You have to be willing to make sacrifices in order to achieve those goals. So, you know, I think it's important for people to develop, you know, the capacity for, um, you know, enduring some level of discomfort for the sake of, you know, the higher sake of achieving what you want out of life. And, and, you know, a lot of people just aren't willing to do that and they aren't willing to take responsibility for that. And they just say, well, I'm too busy or, you know, you can do it, but I can't. And it's really just a question of, of how you're prioritizing your time and what you're willing to do in order to achieve it, achieve what it is that you seek to achieve. Mm -hmm. I, I can totally relate to that. I'm, I'm trying to write a book right now and it's, it's extremely difficult to find the mental power to sit down and, and get it done, but I'm, I'm figuring it out. So the last question I have for you is if, if you could have 10 minutes with your former teenage self, what advice would you give yourself and why? That's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is, uh, don't worry, it gets better. <laughs> you know, like 
I didn't exactly have a great time as a teenager. I was a pretty awkward kid. I didn't have an easy time talking to girls or making friends. I was kind of a loner and I felt, you know, very much by myself. And so I think I would say, you know, uh, figure out what it is that you want to do and don't let anybody's, anybody else's idea of what they think you should be uh, invade that sacred space. Like listen to everybody but make sure that you know yourself well enough to know what's right for you. And the second thing I would say is, and this applies to you know people a little bit older, is to try to live as leanly as possible. Like once you get out of college, like don't go rent an apartment you can't afford or buy stuff you can't afford. Like try to live as frugally as possible and get used to uh, you know sort of living a minimalist lifestyle because I think when you're not dependent on those outside things and you're not carrying some kind of huge overhead. You have more freedom to make choices about how you want to spend your time. Uh, and you're not constricted by, you know, the external forces of, you know, economic forces that are making you do things that perhaps you don't want to do. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for getting on the podcast and thank you all fueled listeners for tuning in to episode number 56 of Fueled. Go check out Rich on Instagram at Rich Roll. Go check out his website, richroll.com. Please leave a review, subscribe, and I'll see you all in future episodes.